talk about resurrection today on Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Amen. Well, last week, if you're here, we talked about the crucifixion. And it was a hard, hard message to talk about. I'm the coach of the Windsor High School swim team. We watched The Passion. And if you guys have watched The Passion, it's difficult to watch that movie and think about the tremendous pain and suffering that Christ did for each one of us upon the cross and what he endured on our behalf. Last week, I didn't mention this verse, but it really is something that captivated my heart and mind and it was from a missionary they're not sure who it was but they asked this missionary you know why why did you give up all the creature comforts of this world to go into the mission field and to suffer so dearly and he said this he said that if jesus christ is god and he died for me then nothing i can do will be too much to do for him nothing that I can do will be too much to do for him. And so I thought about that this week when I had a tough time with Maddie sick or just thinking about the finances and why, you know, my financial situation is as good as it should be or, or just all the troubles of life and all the tasks of life and where you just cause yourself to, to complain about how tough it is for each one of us. But to think about just the amazing, tremendous sacrifice that Christ did for each one of us and personalize that of the distance that he went for each one of us and to internalize what he did for us, then we too would be like this missionary and say, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing that I won't do for him. But as I promised last week that as sober and somber as it was to talk about the crucifixion, so much more enjoyable and exciting it's going to be to talk about his resurrection. That he rose again And he is preparing a place for us called heaven. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection. And then most importantly, we're going to talk about heaven and the place that he has prepared for each and every one of us. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for everyone that you've brought here together. That we may cast our vision upon heaven. That we may look above. That we would not get an entangled and and overburdened by the things of this world, that we would be anxious for nothing, but we would focus upon heaven. We would look upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would set our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And so, Lord, I just pray by the power of your Spirit, you would speak in and through me today, that your message of the resurrection is awfully powerful, and it can change hearts and it can change minds. And Lord, I just thank you that you are preparing a place for us that is so much better than this world. That is just a foreshadowing. This world is just a foreshadowing of things to come that will be so much more than we ever hoped or dreamed. So Lord, I just thank you for this day. And I pray these things in your precious name, your matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So we know from the gospel accounts, it says that the angel said to the women, he said, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified and he is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. 
That's the account when the women went to go find Christ in his grave, that they found out that he had risen. He was no longer on the cross. He was no longer in the grave, that on the third day he rose again, just as he had promised. And so we need to ask ourselves, why? Why is the resurrection so important? What's the big deal, right? I mean, we talked about last week, he paid the price for our sins when he died upon the cross. That was a perfect sacrifice for our sin. It was all done. He said it was finished. So what's the big deal about the resurrection? Why is it so important? Well, let me give you five reasons why it's important. First reason is this. It's an affirmation from God the Father himself. Being raised from the dead, the Father declared that his son's sacrifice on the cross was a perfect and fulfilling atonement or payment for our sins. If Jesus had just died on the cross and had not risen from the dead, then how would we know for sure that his sacrifice was good, that it was perfect, that that was the payment for our sin? We would not know. But by raising Jesus from the dead, the Father affirmed and he said that my son's obedient act of going through the pain and the suffering that he went through, that that act of obedience would cover all of mankind's disobedience. He declared, well done, my son. You went the distance. You paid the price. And because of your sacrifice, now many will live. So at the cross, the slate was wiped clean. And because of the resurrection, we are now seen as righteous. Meaning, we are seen as right and good in God's eyes because of what Christ did for us. And so that's the first reason why the resurrection is important. The second reason is that sin and death had been conquered. Last week I talked about how Satan and his demons, you know, they were probably just having a big old party when Christ was on the cross. They were just probably psyched that they had got him. Yeah, we got the Messiah. We got the Son of God. He's nailed to a cross. We killed him. They're partying for three days, and can you imagine the look on their faces hung over from a three-day party to find out that Jesus rose from the dead? Oh, man, they were bummed. I can imagine how bummed they were. Doggone it, we thought we got that guy. What's he doing raising from the dead? But in the spiritual world, it was a big deal. Absolutely humongous. Never happened before. Someone raised from the dead. Oh, my goodness. And so now what's Satan doing? He's ticked off, right? He's ticked at the world. And so what does he do? He tries to disturb and blind us of the simple message of the gospel. He tries to tell us that that message isn't simple. It's complicated, right? You can't just go to heaven by putting your faith in one man and what he did for you. That's too easy. It's got to be harder than that. Right? You've you got to be good to get in heaven, right? You've got to work your way there. That's what the religions of this world tell us. There are certain things you've got to do to get to heaven. You can't just go on the coattails of one other person, one other man. So Satan complicates it. He makes it hard to understand. He tells you it's too complicated. It's not that easy to get to heaven. Yet the message is easy. It's simple. It's simple message that Jesus Christ died for our sins, all the sins of this world. And that if we put our faith and trust in Him alone, 
we'll have eternal life. It's that easy, guys. It's that easy. And Satan complicates it. And he makes us apathetic and lazy. And he gives us disbelief. And he puts circumstances in our world and our life to make it harder when it's just an easy, simple message. And then the third reason why I think that the resurrection is so important is that our faith would be futile or in vain if it weren't so. About two months we'll be talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the Christian faith is hung upon the resurrection. If there was no resurrection, then our faith would be futile, it says, or in vain. It says we would be pitied among most men. Because why would someone willingly choose to live a life of absolute servitude, of loving others and counting them more important than themselves, of going to places where most men would never dream of going and doing things for other people that normal man would never want to do? Why would you live a life like that? Man, why not just party it up? 1 Corinthians 15 says, why not just eat, drink, and be merry, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. But that's not the case. The resurrection is a historical event. It's a proven historical event. More proven than probably most other events that even happen in history. It's verified. There's a lot of documents on there. It's a proven event, and it's what we hang our hats on as Christians. That is a true thing. It happened. And we don't live our lives in vain. We hang our hat on the belief that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so that is why the resurrection is important. And fourth, it's important because it affirmed that Jesus is the Son of God. It affirmed His deity. By being raised from the dead, God declared Jesus to be His Son. And we know in other accounts in the Bible, it is baptism in the transfiguration. God calls down from heaven and says, You know, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. But the Apostle Paul puts an affirmation sentence on that in Romans when he says, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. See, the difference here is the word with power. By overcoming death, Jesus was declared to be more powerful than death and decay. Without the resurrection, Jesus would be just a good man. He'd just be a moral, good moral teacher. He'd just be a good example of suffering in this world. But that's not true. But he would still be under the natural order, right? He would still be subjected to death and of no use for us as a Savior. The fact that he has risen again and conquered death means that he does have power over death. And that power will rescue each and every one of us from death. So he's just not another man. He is the Son of God. He is deity. He is God Himself. And by being raised from the dead, He affirmed that. He has power over death. And the fifth, final reason is this, that He is making all things new. Everything is being renewed. It is God's order. It is His plan. In Revelation, Jesus says that He's going to make everything new. Because of the resurrection, everything will be made new. The resurrection was the first step for restoring everything to its original intent. In Romans chapter 8, it says that all of creation waits the resurrection. When the earth will be liberated from the bondage of sin and decay, and so too will our bodies. The earth and our bodies groan 
They groan for something new. I don't know about you guys, but when I get out of bed every morning, aches and pains and groaning and, oh, my knee and my back. And I mean, I even hear it on my high school swim team. These kids are young teenagers and they ache. Our body groans for something new. Our body groans for what it was originally intended for. And that's what will happen in heaven. There will be no aches and pains in heaven. We'll be brought back to our original design. That which is perfect and complete and not lacking in anything. See, our, our soul, which we have, which is eternal, will be united with a resurrected body. One that doesn't have aches and pains. And that is why the resurrection is so important. It brings everything back to its original intent. The way God intended it to be in the Garden of Eden. Restoration. Renewal. Reconciliation. Redemption. God wants to redeem the earth to its original intent. And with that, He wants to redeem us to our original intent. So there really are three phases in human existence. And the first phase was that of our original state in the beginning the first two chapters of the Bible, it talks about the beginning times in the Garden of Eden before the fall. And then the next stage was after the fall of man, when man disobeyed God. And so God put the curse of sin on the earth and on our bodies. And that is our current or present state that we're in. We're under the curse of sin. We're in decay. And this world is spiraling downward. They talk about global warming and how the earth is going down. It's in decay. This world is going down. It's in absolute decay. And that's our present stage because of the curse of sin on this world. And then the final stage is the redemptive stage. And that's in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, which I'll get to in a minute. See, redemption means to buy back from what was formerly owned. Renewal means to make new again or restore to its original state. Resurrection means becoming physically alive again after death. This leads to the heart of this message. And that's about heaven. What will heaven be like? There's many misconceptions about heaven, and I had them myself. And I always thought, well, I don't know if I want to go to heaven. Isn't it going to just be worship all the time? And so I was raised in the church and... I thought of worship as going to church, and then I'd have to just sit around and listen to a bunch of boring sermons and sing a bunch of boring hymns, and and heaven's just going to be boring. I don't want that. So I wasn't too excited about heaven because that was the image that was portrayed to me of heaven. It was just a bunch of prolonged church services over and over again. And I'd just be watching my, well, when are we going to get out of church? But if you were here a couple weeks ago, Vladimir, our worship leader for the network, was here and he talked about worship. And we know that worship is not a bunch of boring church services. Worship is something that we need to pursue 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And on earth, it's a difficult thing to do. But it's really a hard issue. It's really about giving our heart to God and thankfulness for what he did for us. And that's what heaven will be like. That interconnection with God. See, we will not be bored in heaven. We will not be disappointed. We'll be restored to our original design. We'll be intimately connected with God. Like we've never experienced 
in our life, for maybe just brief moments in our life, we've felt intimacy with God, it'll be all the time intimately connected with Him. And so there are different stages of heaven. There's what they're called the present heaven, where Jesus said to the man on the cross, today I'll see you in paradise, and that's the present heaven that we'll go to immediately. And then there's various other stages of heaven. I don't have time to get into today, but what I want to look at and focus on today is that final stage of heaven. It's called the new heaven and the new earth. We know a lot more about heaven than you might think. You may have heard the expression, you can't even begin to imagine what heaven is like. I've even said that myself. Oh, we we can't begin to imagine. Just trust God. We can't begin to imagine. It's going to be great. That's true. But the Bible has so much to say about heaven. I've been reading, and Randy Alcorn has a book, and it's 500 pages long with scripture among scripture about heaven. It paints this elaborate, incredible picture of what heaven is like. And so I invite you, if you're interested, to pick up that book and dig in deep and find out many things about heaven. And I found out many things that I never knew about that are in Scripture that talk about heaven. There's many things in the Old Testament. We even know in the Gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrected body when He is on earth that shows what heaven will be like and what our resurrected body will be like. But I think the most vivid picture comes from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. I love these verses because I think it paints just a great vivid picture of what heaven is going to be like. This is from the Apostle John as, as he saw and, he, and God gave him a glimpse into what the future will look like. And he saw this, he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write these things down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There's some things I want to share about heaven and what I've learned and what it's like and from this passage. And the first thing is this, that heaven is a real place. Did you get that? Heaven is a real place. Many of us have the perception that we will just float around like some ethereal spiritual beings and float on the clouds and just go around aimlessly, not sure where we're doing. Revelation 21 paints a different picture. It is a real place. It is a real place that we will go to. One where heaven and earth will be connected and there will no longer be any separation between us and God. We will dwell with Him. We'll be intimately interconnected with God. And Jesus Christ will assume the throne. And we'll connect it with the Son, our Savior, intimately. We see the earth we live on will really not be abolished 
But it will pass away. It will be renewed, restored. And it will be familiar to us. It will be like home. You know, when you go home, it's a familiar feeling. That's why you like home. It's got things you're familiar with, things you're comfortable with. Well, heaven will be like that and then some. It'll be exactly the home we long for. One thing I'm bummed about in this verse is it says that there'll be no sea in heaven. And I love to swim. I'm a swim coach. I grew up, I was born in Hawaii. I learned how to swim before I could walk almost. And so I love swimming. And I was bummed to hear, man, there's no sea. And when we vacation, we love to go to the ocean and we love to swim in the ocean and be in the sea. So I looked at this is that true? Is that, is that right? So I looked at this word sea, and really what is connoted here and, and what is tried to be described by John is that that of the image of the sea back in the time of the first century. See, back in those times, the sea was seen as a cold, dark, treacherous body of water that, that drowned people and, and sunk ships. And that's what is portrayed here is that sea will be gone. That destructive, deep, dark, treacherous sea will be gone. But as we read on in Revelation 22, it talks about the river of life. And so there will be water in heaven. And if there's a river, I'm bound to see there's a big body of water after that river. And if there's a big body of water, guess what I'm doing? I'm going swimming. I'm going to be swimming in heaven. And what's cool about it is we'll be swimming. I can dive down deep under the water and look at all the fish and everything down there. And you know what? I don't have to have a scuba tank. I can just go down and be down there as long as I want. And you know what? And if I see a shark, I ain't going to freak out because he's not going to eat me. <laughs> and Isaiah talks about this, that the animals and us will get along. We won't be prey for one another. It says the wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food, and they will do no harm or evil in all. So we all live in harmony together, even the animals. The next thing about heaven is, I asked, will our dreams be fulfilled and miss opportunities regained in heaven? In this world, there's this nagging sense that you just didn't accomplish your dreams. I know for me, I, you know, I dreamed to kind of get a state cut in swimming or to do better in whatever thing in my job or career. Many of us as children, we dream to become an Olympic athlete or a professional athlete or nowadays to become the American Idol or singing some rock and roll band in front of millions of people. And we all have dreams and so many are not fulfilled. So many opportunities are missed because something got in the way. Maybe we got sick or maybe our parents were divorced. Or I think of the people who were brought up in the third world where they're brought up poor and hungry. And all they crave for is food and shelter. How many missed opportunities they must have. Could you imagine Christ when he's in this world and just hundreds of thousands of people coming around him all the time, wanting desperately to be healed, to restored. You can imagine what's going through his mind as he heals someone, just to think that a short time later they'd just become weak again and die. So I wonder why he said in the Beatitudes, he said that 
Blessed are you who are poor, for yours will be the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall be comforted. What's he talking about? He's talking about heaven. He's talking about heaven. At the end of the Beatitudes, he says this. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. So he knows on this earth there are going to be missed opportunities. There are going to be unfulfilled dreams. He knows because of the curse of sin that overwhelms this world that it's not the way it should be. It's not the way he wanted it. So why? Why will it be rewards in heaven? Joey Erickson Tata, she's a wonderful lady who was paralyzed from the neck down. Talk about missing opportunities in life, huh? Paralyzed from the neck down. You'd think she'd be complaining all the time. I mean, I would be. Think about the missed opportunities she's had in her life where the dreams are never fulfilled. But she says this. She says, you know what? I haven't been cheated out of being a complete person. I'm just going through a 40-year delay. And God is with me even through that. See, being glorified, I know what that means now. It's the time after my death here on earth when I'll be in heaven and my feet will be dancing. She knows she's going to get a resurrected body, one that's perfect and works just the way that God intended it. There will be no more lack of fulfillment in heaven. For every opportunity we missed on earth, there will be thousands more fulfilled in heaven. And the last thing about heaven is what will our relationships be like It was a disturbing thing when Jesus said at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And so I know a lot of people are upset. There's no marriage in heaven. Gosh, that's a bummer. But there will be. There will be marriage in heaven. Now, not the physical marriage that we think of here on earth between the husband and the wife, because obvious reasons for people that probably were married numerous times. But... And the one in heaven is going to be the one between Christ and his bride. And it talks about that in Ephesians chapter 5. Our marriage on earth here is just a signpost of what we'll be like in heaven. Our marriage to Christ will be so completely satisfying that even the most wonderful earthly marriage couldn't even compare. See, the purpose of marriage is not to replace heaven, but to prepare us for heaven. The purpose of marriage is not to replace heaven, but to prepare us for it. That Jesus never said that our relationships would end. Can you imagine relationships in heaven with no sin? Where we wouldn't hurt each other? Where there wouldn't be any lack of fulfillment? Because all our fulfillment and intimacy would be in Christ. We know that the best marriages on earth are ones that are totally focused upon Christ and Him alone. That's what it'll be like in heaven. We'll be married and we'll be intimately connected with Christ. And so our other relationships will just add to that. They will just add to that fulfillment. I know for me, the best parts about heaven will be this. Many of us have had this heart, a longing, a lack of fulfillment to being able to raise your own child. For us, for Sue and I, 
we have that feeling because we lost our child at birth. And so for our whole lives, there's this longing to raise our child in heaven. And so for, I know, the Glessmans and any of you that have lost loved ones, and there's that deep hole in your life from that lack of fulfillment from that relationship, I know it will be fulfilled in heaven. I know that God will fulfill us in heaven. I don't know what it looks like, but I know he will fulfill that missed opportunity that we didn't have here on earth. The Bible says that God has set eternity in our hearts. He has set eternity in our hearts. There is a God-shaped hole in each one of us that can only be filled by him, that longs for heaven. See, we're designed for something better. In Randy Alcorn's book that I talked about, he concludes his book with this. He says, For every longing for better health is a longing for the new earth. For every longing for romance is a longing for the ultimate romance with Christ. Every desire for intimacy is a desire for Christ. Every thirst for beauty is a thirst only fulfilled by the living water. Every taste of joy is but a foretaste of a greater and more vibrant joy that can only be found in heaven. So in light of heaven, how should we live? What should our lives look like? Colossians, it gives us perfect example of what our lives should look like. It says that since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Well, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So if you're prone like me to get overwhelmed by the things of this world, get overwhelmed and anxious about your finances or your health or the health of your family or the health of other people around you, to get overwhelmed with broken relationships and and other people's lives that just seem a mess, that can seem so overwhelming to us. What he's saying here is don't do that. Don't be overwhelmed with that. Set your mind on things above. I pondered that this week as I thought about my life. And how much of my life I spend thinking about this world. What's my next task? Oh, this person's having a tough time. I'm having a tough time. Look at the bank account. Over again, and we just get overwhelmed with this world. And I know I do. This verse tells us not to do that. To set our mind on things above, on heaven. To set our heart on things above. That's how we are to live life, is to live it in light of heaven and to think towards heaven. You know, the Bible says that our life will be just a vapor. Just a vapor. It's like a poof. A poof. Nothing. We're to live our lives in light of heaven and what God has prepared for us. Now, if you're here today, maybe for the first time, or this is the first time you've even heard about heaven or the first time you've heard about what Christ did for you you're here by no accident you're here today because God sovereignly brought you here today to hear this message to encourage your heart 
Maybe you've even heard that message before. Oh, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. But today I hope that it impacts your heart. Today you probably came here overwhelmed and burdened by the anxieties and troubles of life. Jesus says, Come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Come. Dine with me. Dine with me at the wedding banquet. I've prepared a place for you. And it's an amazing place. See, he died and he rose again for that purpose. To have an eternal relationship with us. To restore things back to the way they were intended to be. To be intimately connected with him. It's a simple message. All he's doing is saying, come. Come. Let's pray. Father God, I invite those that don't know you to come. To put their faith in that simple message of what you did, the act on the cross. That you were the perfect sacrifice for our sin. You conquered sin and death, and so it was affirmed when you rose from the dead. And you're not done yet, Lord. You are preparing a place for us that is so amazing, that will fulfill all our dreams. For every missed opportunity that we feel like we've had in this world, we will be fulfilled, and those opportunities will be abundantly fulfilled over and over again. So, Lord, help us not to cast our mind upon this world and get bogged down with the things of this world but to cast our mind upon heaven and the place you prepared for us. And Lord, to come. For those that haven't accepted that simple message, you're standing with your hands out saying, Come, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Lord, you're talking about heaven. And we can experience it here on earth. We can set eternities in our heart by inviting your spirit to live inside of our heart. And that'll just be a foreshadowing of what's to come, Lord. Oh, the days when I drew lines around my face To keep you out, to keep me in, to keep it safe And oh, the sense of my own self-entitlement to say who's wrong, who won't belong, or cannot stay. Cause somebody somewhere decided we'd be better off divided. And somehow, despite the damage done, he says, Come, there is room in This is the 